Ah, the dad bod. In 2015, Clemson University student Mackenzie Pearson was the first person to publish the term in a paper titled, Why Girls Love the Dad Bod. According to Wikipedia, a dad bod is defined as a man who was once athletic, but has now gained a noticeable amount of body fat around the waist as he's aged. Well, congrats, Mackenzie. You may have encouraged an entire generation of young men to stay out of shape, lack confidence and drive, and fail miserably at owning their own futures. But guess what? Times are changing. The dad bods are out. And instead, us men are sticking with the confidence, the discipline, and the consistency. My guest today is Brian Scuderi, the owner of Unbreakable Dads. He is a unique fitness coach that helps fathers get themselves back into warrior shape. We're not just talking about muscle building, though. We're diving into the world of men's mental health, optimizing their nutrition, and owning their own legacies. So friends, are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go! Hey everyone, what's going on? I'm Mike Fancher, and welcome to this episode of the MyFit Method Podcast. All right, guys, I am so excited. Brian Scuderi, I'm so happy to have you here today. Let's just dive right into this because I feel like the revered man's physique is constantly going through some sort of a, I guess, a revolution. Like in the 40s and 50s, it was about how good you looked in a suit with padded shoulders. In the 70s, all of a sudden bodybuilding because of people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno all of a sudden began to become kind of mainstream. The 80s, the fitness world blew up. You had the Tony Littles of the world and the body by Jake. Everything was about fitness. And then, you know, the action movies kind of like propelled that, made it even bigger with actors like Sly Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then that started to deteriorate a little bit in the 90s and the 2000s till the rise of CrossFit, Spartan races. And then that kind of faded too. And then all of a sudden in the mid-2012, 2015, somewhere in that world, the dad bod suddenly emerged. And now I feel like there's another revolution happening. And I think a lot of it is because of people like Andrew Huberman, David Goggins, Andrew Tate, Chris Bumstead, even Joe Rogan to a point that all of a sudden they're saying, men, you need to take care of your bodies. You need to be stronger. You need to pay attention to your health. What do you feel about this? What do you think of this new dad revolution that's going on? Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on, Mike. The the dad revolution, just put it to you plainly, man. It's like people are realizing that there's so much more to life than just working. And whether or not you rise in your career and do all these other things, if you're a crappy dad and you're leading by example of like poor health, you're just going to be inevitably disappointed with your late 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? The old story when we were growing up was like, sacrifice everything for your career. Like you don't have time for fitness, be the first one in, stay late, do all those things. And while I am all for working really, really hard, I have a great work ethic myself. It, if I'm building something, building my career to the sacrifice of my own health, then inevitably I'm going to burn out and have a shorter career anyways. So I think what people are coming to realize, especially dads is like, if I'm going to be the best dad that I could possibly be, if I'm going to be the best sales manager, entrepreneur, whatever it is that they are, like if I'm not taking care of my health, then I can't achieve that. It's such a foundational habit 
it's such a foundation, it's such a pillar of life that inevitably, if you're just eating whatever's readily available and going to fast food and just completely throwing your health and fitness to the the wayside, by the time you're in your 40s, you're going to be gassed out by 3 p.m., crappy dad, too tired to do anything, picking fights with your wife, not connecting with your children. It's like, well, where's the fulfillment? You may have all the material success. You can check off all the boxes that you were told in college. But if you're not actively being present and you're not feeling good and not feeling healthy and taking care of yourself, then by the time you're in your 40s, who knows what can happen? And I would argue to say that men not taking care of their health has been a contributing factor to the divorce rate. Because if you're not showing up for yourself, it's impossible to show up as a quality husband and a quality father. And you're not leading yourself. It's impossible to lead your family. And so what everyone looks to for the men in a family is quality leadership, quality example. And if you can't take care of yourself, if you're not putting your needs ahead of like your bosses or anything like that, and you're just completely sacrificing everything about your life because you just need to meet a deadline, then yeah, you're just going to wind up disappointing the people that matter the most, which are your kids and your wife. I literally just posted uh, two days ago on, I think it was on Facebook. And I said that if you're not willing to invest time and energy into yourself, don't expect anyone else to invest into you because we are what we exude. And I think as guys, especially there's this talk today too, so much about, oh, I want to be happy. I want to be, I, and I'm curious on your take on this. I don't necessarily think that men have a undying need to necessarily be happy, but I do want to feel fulfilled. I do want to feel as though I'm fulfilled in my life and what I'm putting in and what I'm putting in on the outside is also just as important as what I'm putting into myself. What do you feel about that? Do you agree with that or do you have a different take? Absolutely. I think everyone has uh, a twisted belief system around happiness because I'm never happy when I'm not doing the things that I know I should be doing. Right. Because everybody knows it, it, there isn't a guy or or dad that's listening to this podcast right now that isn't like, oh, yeah, like I should take care of my health. It's not a new concept. Right. But when we go ahead and, and we forego that, right, we're actually working out of harmony with the things that we really want. And so when we sacrifice what we really want for what we want right now, I want chips right now. I want to just hang out and watch TV or I I just want to sit on the couch. I had a long day at work or I don't want to wake up early. I just want to stay in bed. When we go for the instant gratification, we may feel happy for a moment, but I wouldn't even, I would argue that that's not happiness. That's pleasure. And it's right. two very different things. Agreed. It's, it's short lived. It burns hot and burns quick. Happiness is not this like overwhelming joyous sensation. Happiness in my opinion is progressively and actively working towards a goal that you set out and holding yourself to it. Right. I'm not happy when I'm sitting on the couch, right? Like I, I can enjoy my time with my kids. I can enjoy my time with my wife. Right. And while that's important, right, I'm the reason I can enjoy that is because I have a goal of being the best dad ever. Right. But I also have the goal of taking care of my health and fitness. So if I'm sacrificing the gym time that I had already planned right? to then just sit on the couch and just say, oh, this is just easier. 
Right. And then use my kid as a scapegoat. Like, oh, well, it's 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 three o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. Like, I, I can't leave her. She'll think that I'm a bad dad. Right. It's like that's not happiness. That's going for pleasure. Happiness yeah. is going after something, setting it, setting a measurable target and actively working towards it. Whether or not I achieve it is arbitrary because the horizon line is always going to push. Right. Right. Once I achieve right. an outside goal, I'm always going to go for the next level. Yep. But there's the the twisted belief system around feeling good is happiness. Mm-hmm. Where I would argue that I don't always feel good when I'm going after something, when I'm doing the uncomfortable thing, but I'm happy I'm doing it. Right. I know your company, Unbreakable Dads, is just an amazing concept overall. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you get here to this point of really trying to focus on helping dads everywhere achieve kind of the best version of themselves? Well, you know how like a lot of dads will will kind of put everyone else before them, right? They'll put their kids before them. They'll put their wife before them. And while I agree there's a time and place for that, I did that too. And I wound up just kind of getting snappy after work and I was 40 pounds overweight and I cared more about my financial success than anything else. And I was checking all the boxes. And here I am like with the ideal life on paper that I was told that I was supposed to have in my late twenties and early thirties. And I was actually deep down and a little bit miserable because I was waking up early and I was going first one into the office and last one home and all that other good stuff. But every single time I looked myself in the mirror, I was disappointed. I was tired all the time. I mean, even the thought of exercising was just like this overwhelming feeling like, oh man, like if I go to the gym, then I got to eat a healthy lunch and a healthy breakfast, but like, I don't have anything prepared. So if it's like, I'm not going to, if I'm not going to even eat healthy, like what's even the point? Right. And I would just go this through this defeatist cycle. In 2018, we were getting ready for uh, an award ceremony. I was a sales manager at the time for a direct sales company that was doing nine figures. And I was running at the time, the number one sales team in the entire organization. And that was because I was really good at burning the candles at both ends. Like I was in the office at 6 a.m. and I wasn't leaving until nine, seven days a week. And we were crushing. It was amazing. I made more money that year than any other year previous. I promote, like I had a huge team, like 150 sales reps, like recruiting was through the roof. It was fantastic. And the day of the award ceremony, I hadn't put on my tux since the last award ceremony. And I was going to put it on and two things happened. One, my wife just at the time was like, your hair looks kind of funny. And I guess she just had her phone on her and she snapped a picture of me. And I'd made some derpy face, like, like just trying to make a funny picture. And cause my hair was all disheveled. I looked like a wreck. Cause I worked till like 10 30 PM the night before. And it was like 6 AM and we had to make the trip to the award ceremony. It was hours away. And then I put my tux on and mind you, it had only been one year since I had put it on and it didn't fit. This mm-hmm. was the same tux that I had wore for the previous three years. Nobody has like a wide range. Like you only right. have one. So it's day of, and it didn't fit. When I tell you the level of like, shame that I experienced on that day. Like, man, I put on so much weight that this tux that four years ago was actually a little big on me is now too small. The level of pain was just 
so high that I knew I had to make a difference. Like I knew I had to make different choices. That, and I saw the picture of me with my shirt off that day. We were in the bathroom getting ready and I saw like the funny hair and all that other stuff. And my gut was hanging over my belt. And I was like, dude, you have just completely let yourself go. And so being the type of human being that I am, I was like, I got to figure this out. And just like everybody else, I was like, I got to lose 30 pounds. Like that was, it was like immediate. Like I knew, oh, like if I just lose 30 pounds, everything will be perfect. And right. I set this massive goal. And at the time, this was 2018. So what was really big in 2018 was keto. Everyone was doing, I mean, it was like, if you're eating a carbohydrate, you're like a sadistic person. Like, oh my God, eat silly bread. <laughs> Everyone was just like, I don't, I don't eat gluten. I don't eat bread. So I was like, great. I'm never touching a carbohydrate ever again. And you know what? For 30 days, that was amazing. Hmm. I don't even know if it was 30 days, probably like 27 or whatever it was. Oh, I could do it. I could do it. But I'm an Italian. I live in North Jersey. And so right around the banquet was also my birthday. And my mom made my favorite meal that she made every year growing up, which was her chicken parm and her penne vodka. What am I going to do? Not eat it? Right. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just not going to have pasta, mom. Like, sorry. Thank you for making it for me and putting all the blood, sweat and tears into this meal. Right. It takes like eight hours to make chicken parm. Right. Like, yep. just you don't even need the knife. And so I, I ate it and I was like, oh, I don't want to offend my mom. And I ate it. And, I, and then... After that, the level of guilt was through the roof. So I was like, oh my God, I'm keto. Like I just had pasta. Like, and so then I went into like the the weird cycle of like, well, now I'm gonna work out three times a day. And so then I I, I realized like, well, one keto wasn't gonna work because like, what am I never gonna have ice cream ever again for the rest of my life until the day I die? Right. Then I did like the whole two a day. And that wasn't going to work because my career took a tumble the following month because I was like working out two, three times a day. And then I saw my sales numbers drop and my finances got impacted. I was like, okay, that's not going to work. So I only did two a days for like two weeks, three weeks. Then I was like, all right, you know what? I, I watched the Game Changers documentary and I was like, I'm going vegan. Now I need to go vegan, right? I stopped eating meat. That lasted 48 hours. Like just... <laughs> Hey, like vegan was just too hard. Like I was, I had too much going on and it was such a radical lifestyle change. And so every single thing, anyone listening to this, they know all whole 30 Nutrisystem, Weight Watchers. I tried that and it was just a whole bunch of moms. I did literally everything and I would lose 10 pounds and then gain 10 pounds and lose 15 pounds and gain eight pounds. And I did this yo-yo effect. Yep. And right towards the tail end of the year, I, I made a decision that I was like, you know what? I need to figure out how can I do this in the most sustainable way possible? Like, right. how is it that there are guys out there? Cause even at the time, like I knew a couple guys that were in great shape, but like they would eat pizza every now and again, they would have the burgers and the French fries. Like there's gotta be a way to do it. I, I couldn't blame my genetics. Right. Because right. it's, I have no control over that. So I finally started to actually look into the science around things. I finally started to look into ways of like, okay, well, A, how does it actually work? And B, based on human behavior, considering I've never done this before, how do I actually implement it into my life? Mm -hmm. And so I was my first beta test. Right. It, it took me a year and a half to figure it out. Right. But over the course of that year and a half, I ended up losing 40 pounds. I went from 228 to 188. I got into amazing shape working out less than five hours a week because that was all the reasonable amount of time that I had. 
While improving my relationship with my wife, having my first child, building my business. And the funny thing was actually the year after I finally started taking it seriously and going sustainably, we actually did better in business because I was showing up better. I had better habits. I had a better mindset. I was more disciplined. I could lead my organization better. People started to take me more seriously because I looked healthier. I looked better. I had more energy to actually work the longer hours, right? Like I wasn't exhausted trying to write sales copy and handle sales calls and all that good stuff. I actually felt good for a longer period of time. So my, my business was better. And then after about a year and a half, I had all the other sales managers of the company were like, wait, wait, wait. So you did better. You're working a little bit less. You're in the best shape of your life. You just had a kid. Dude, how does it all work, man? Like, I don't have time. And I, I and they started to kind of spill all the excuses that I used to give myself. Yeah. And so I took on a couple of guys as, as like initial like beta clients just to like really test this out. And when I took, luckily I'm married to a teacher, so she's a master's in psychology. We broke down a six-month habit and lifestyle program to actually implement and cement the habits through a systematic approach using the chemistry of the brain in the way that it actually works versus just doing what everyone does, which is like, oh, I'm going to get in shape. And by the way, I'm never going to eat a carbohydrate again. I'm going to follow this workout I got off bodybuilding.com. And when they go zero to 100, we slowly help these guys implement the habits, the lifestyle, the decision-making skills, the mindset, the belief systems, the habit structures, and all of those things. And four out of those five clients lost 30 plus pounds with me. The fifth client lost 15 or 16 pounds. I forget. This was years ago. Wow. And their business has improved. And I was like, I think I'm onto something. And I found myself being more passionate about that than my my full-time job. So over the course of the next year, I slowly was growing Unbreakable Dads because I felt like all of the guys that I was helping, they all had kids. They all had a busy career. They're all high achievers. They all wanted to win in life. Like they weren't the slouches who just were like on welfare that got fat eating like wick food, right? Like these were guys right. that were like, no, 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 I want to improve. Yep. And so over the course of the next year, I slowly grew the business, making sure that I was only taking on clients that I could guarantee success with, which is why I'm one of the only guys, if not the only guy that actually offers this with a money back guarantee. Wow. And they all won. Then we started to build the community. Then it started to really take off. And obviously people were starting to notice like friends, they operate in these little pods of like two or three dads, right? So like one guy would get in good shape and then they tell their friends, they'd be like, wait, 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 you're doing it all wrong. Like you got to talk to Brian. And now we've helped over 150 people just in the past three years get amazing results. And it's just become my full-time passion, helping dads realize that they can actually have it all. They don't have to sacrifice themselves for everything else. They don't have to put themselves last for everything else because that's how you wind up unfulfilled. That's how you wind up disappointed. And that's how you wind up resenting becoming a dad. So much to unpack there. And that was an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. I had a very similar situation when I had to close the physical location of MindFit. There's a lot of stress. I had been working 18 hour days every single day and it wears on you. You stop paying attention and it's really bad when you're stopped paying attention when your business is health and fitness and all of a sudden you stop paying attention to it to yourself. And that's one thing so many people I know they're like, cause I had an adult program too that I ran in the mornings and then it, the after school program for the kids was in the afternoon. 
And I had a full CrossFit type gym that was, it was huge. It was amazing. And when you're in it all day long, you're like, I'm, I'm helping this person get fit. I'm helping this person get fit. I'm lifting plates. I'm lifting bars. So I'm sort of getting my workout and I loved working out. And the hardest time ever for me to stay fit was when I owned a gym per se, because you're in it all day long and you're not paying attention to your own health. And after everything closed, I hadn't worn jeans in forever because I was in sweats every day and I'm in workout clothes every single day. And mm -hmm. suddenly I, I, everyone has a, their own favorite pair of jeans and I grabbed mine off of the shelf that had been collecting dust in my closet. I threw them on and I'm like, they shrunk. And of course, <laughs> like my poor wife, the first thought in my mind is my wife shrunk my jeans, like in the wash, right? Completely unfair thought, I, completely. But I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm like, I haven't stepped on a scale in a while. Maybe I should step on a scale. And I stepped on the scale. I had gained 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly like, then you start paying attention to yourself instead of looking at my shoulders when I would be shortlist in the mirror, my, my arms in the mirror. Now I'm looking at my face. I'm looking at my gut and I'm like, holy crap, what happened? And the amazing part of this, I guess you could say it was a metamorphosis at that moment because I was like, all right, dude, you know exactly what to do. Cut the crap and do what you need to do. Start paying attention. That, that was the first thing. Just start paying attention to what's going on. And I went downstairs, my wife, my three boys, and I have three teenage uh, boys that now are, at this point, they're all like taller than I am. And they all li literally live in the gym. So this whole, we, we go through three 18 packs of eggs a week. It's insane. But imagine, nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> We, I come downstairs and it was like, I was making a proclamation to the world. I'm like, guys, you're not going to believe this, but like I gained 25 pounds, no more. Like I got to, it's time to start paying attention. The look on their face was not shock. Like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. The look on their face was relief. Mm. And my wife said to me, we all saw it, but we knew what you were going through. We didn't want to say anything. So I was like, holy crap. Everyone saw me falling apart. That wasn't the bad part for me. It was that everyone saw me not addressing it. That really bothered me inside. So the first day, literally that day, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for a run. And I have a total hip replacement, so I am limited on how far I can go and those types of things, but I hadn't run in forever. So I live in a cul-de-sac that is uh, about a quarter of a mile long. And I was like, I'm just going to go run a mile. I barely made it to my neighbor's mailbox. And that is mm. the honest to God truth. By the end of my neighbor's mailbox, I'm out of breath. My legs are killing me already. I'm like, this is bad. I, I had no idea how far I'd fallen. And so the next, I wound up walking the mile that day because I refused because I'm stubborn as an ox. I'm like, no, 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 I'm gonna gonna do this. Come back up the next day when you're sore from walking a mile, when you're used to being in incredible shape, you know something's wrong. And I'll never forget the next day, my youngest, who at the time was probably about 11, 12, he's like, dad, can I come with you? Oh, yeah, sure. It's going to be hard. If you can't keep up, don't worry about it. Yeah, he had no problem keeping up with me, by the way. Uh, he was fine. I was the one that was struggling. And then the next thing, you know, we're doing a mile together. Then we're doing two miles together. We're doing three miles together. Then we made a decision that summer that, I don't know if you're familiar with the workout Murph, um, which is yeah. a pretty tough workout. 
we decided we started on Memorial Day when it's normally done. We just decided that we were going to do Murph every single weekend for the entire summer. And we would make slight modifications to it. So we'd add 100 kettlebell swings, 100 ab mats, something else to it just to keep it a little interesting instead of doing the exact same thing every time. And now my middle son at that point, one day who did no working out whatsoever, was like, can I do Murph with you guys this weekend? I'm like, ooh, you can, but you might want to cut it in half or just do some pieces because it's a really hard workout. And I think he cut it in half that day or maybe a quarter. And he was hurting by the end of the day, no doubt about it. And I was like, oh, we, we might have broke this. This might not have worked. The following weekend, he's like, can I do it with you guys again? So the next thing I knew, my shift shifted the entire household because I wasn't paying attention to me. No one else was paying attention to them. And then all of a sudden it just became what it was in the past, which was, this is just what everyone does. My wife's a marathon runner, but like this was, it was back to even keel, I guess you could say. And it just felt so normal. And I was writing all the workouts for my kids. I haven't written a workout now for my kids in probably two years. They read all their own workouts. When MindFit closed, we took all the equipment, or well, some of the equipment from MindFit, put it in the basements. We were very fortunate to have a full gym in the basement. And it's like fighting for time down there, which is an amazing thing. It That's really awesome. is. Um, but how did, how did it feel? Can I ask, like, how did it feel as a dad that as you continued to push yourself and as you continued to take care of yourself, you didn't have to ask your kids to join. They yeah. asked you. What did that yeah. feel like? That was probably of all the things that I hope to be able to instill in my kids in the future, I pray that that is the one that sticks with them. Because if they take care of themselves, they can take care of the other obstacles and things that they have in their life. I think when I wrote my second book, it's all about our addiction to dopamine through social media. And unfortunately, kids today live in this Instagram perfect world. They live in a world where they're trying to get motivated, right? So how do you get motivated on Instagram? You start watching Sam Sulik or Sebum or David Goggins or all these different guys that are on social media. The problem is the way the algorithm is actually created, it's to constantly keep your dopamine level at a high rate. So that's why we go into the death scroll on Instagram. We're just there forever. And for kids today, see, I didn't grow up with, with social media. It didn't exist. I grew up with literally three channels on TV. We had two, four, and five, and that was all that we had. So even right. TV wasn't a big part of our life. Now that's a very different world for them. So we have kids that are growing up in the world of social media. When you're in that dopamine-induced state of bliss for such a long period of time, your resilience drops. So your ability to handle difficult situations, even difficult conversations, is drastically reduced. And when that happens... These kids, I firmly believe it's part of the why there's so much division in the world today. Everyone's so focused on feeling good, being comfortable, being around people that think exactly like they do. And if someone doesn't think exactly like they do, then they must hate them. So we're constantly in this world of almost a social media nightmare. And now all of a sudden to see the kids intentionally putting themselves through hard shit, right? When you go and do a workout, Dopamine, and it was fascinating. I actually had the unique opportunity to briefly collaborate with Dr. Anna Lemke. She is the author of Dopamine Nation. It's a New York Times bestselling book. 
And she's also the head of neuropsychology and neuropsychiatry at Stanford University. So she lives in the world of addiction and dopamine. And what was fascinating was I reached out to her because I wanted to make sure that based upon the research I had done, I was accurate in making a statement. And I didn't even know if she would respond to me, but she graciously did. So Dr. Lemke, I truly appreciate it. But what I asked was for people that don't like to exercise. So first, dopamine is a chemical that is released not because of pleasure. It's in anticipation of pleasure. So if you like to work out, you are going to get a dopamine boost right before you go to the gym because you like to do it. But not everybody likes to work out, yet dopamine still gets released during the workout. And my question was, is the dopamine released during a workout different than the dopamine that is released because of social media? It's the same dopamine, but how is how does your body receive it differently? And the answer is that when you're on Instagram and you're scrolling, the dopamine is in anticipation of what the next video is going to be. So you're watching a reel and then you scroll up, you have no idea what that next one is gonna be, but boom, you get a hit. And then you get another one and another one and another one. During exercise, dopamine is released because of stress and trauma. It's a completely different utilization of dopamine because you're putting your body through stress and almost through a trauma when you do that difficult workout. And that's, it's the only thing, exercise is the only thing that reverses the negative effects of social media when it comes to dopamine addiction. And it's not even dopamine addiction, it's almost a dopamine compulsion. An addiction is something that when you're addicted to something and then you do that thing, you feel better. When you do social media, it's not the case. When you start doing social media, it's not like a cigarette. For a smoker, if they want to smoke and they're really craving that cigarette, when they take that that first puff of that cigarette, they feel so much better. We don't, we, and then they don't need one again for a while. Social media is different. When you're craving that dopamine rush and you dive into that world, all of a sudden when you do that, what do you want? You want more because it's an anticipation. So you get it again and again and again. It's a different situation than mm. it is for an addiction, which you do something, it makes you feel better. A compulsion is that you do something and then you instantly want to do more of it. So, and even if you like chocolate, chocolate releases dopamine too, but you have a Hershey kiss. Yeah. You may want another one, but if you eat five, six, seven of them, you're like, okay, I'm good at this point. I don't need any more chocolate where you do five or six reels. You want another 20 on Instagram. That's just how our, our mind kind of works. So now knowing that my kids have the ability to intentionally put themselves in a period of stress. And I use the word trauma lightly. Because remember, when you're doing a hard workout, you're putting your muscles through a form of trauma because you're working them essentially to failure to be able to get that response that you're trying to get as they're all trying to do hypertrophy. That's the world that they're trying to live in. When you do that, it has a very positive effect on your body. And I was fascinated just recently, two weeks ago, I think, Andrew Huberman did a podcast with David Goggins. And this is the second time Goggins has been on Huberman's podcast. And... I'll tell you, the first like 15, 20 minutes of the podcast, I actually wasn't liking it. And I love Goggins. I love Huberman. That's a world I absolutely adore. But it was really dark. And what amazed me was where the conversation went. And Huberman started talking about a portion of the brain that, frankly, I had never heard of before. And if I repeat it here, I'm going to say it wrong, so I won't. You'll have to look it up for all the listeners. But he started talking about a portion of the brain that actually grows in response to doing things that you do not want to do. And it literally, it physically grows when you do that. So if you don't like to work out, you actually develop more willpower 
if you keep doing it consistently, then the person that does like to work out, which is kind of fascinating. Two people, they're both doing the same exact workout. One of them loves it. One of them hates it. The person that hates it is actually getting more out of it, as crazy as that sounds. But wow. when they do that, this portion of the brain grows. Now, if they begin to like that thing, so let's just say an ice bath was the example that Huberman gave in the podcast. First time doing an ice bath. You don't want to do it. You're really, you just don't want to dive in, but you do it. Boom. That portion of the brain grows. Tomorrow, if you suddenly realize that you liked the ice bath and you do it again, you're like, oh man, ice bath, this is going to be amazing. And you do it, has no impact on that, that side of the brain. You're not going to grow again because now you enjoy doing it. And where it went to in the podcast was about David Goggins and running. And Goggins was very clear to say, I hate running. Everyone thinks that because they see me running along, who's going to carry the boats, all of this stuff. And every videos of me running that I must just love to run. And it's so easy for him because he loves to run. He despises running. Yet he runs every single day. And he does it because he hates it. Because he knows if he can do it, as Alex Hormozzi has said before, it gives you that stack of undeniable proof that you can do the things that you say you're going to do. So that is what, more than anything, to get back to your question, how I hope my kids are able to push themselves in the world. And on those days where you don't want to work out, it is true. Even a bad workout is better than none. So go downstairs, do, do your workout, get your mental butte your mental boost, because that's a huge part of fitness that I think is completely overlooked. Get that mental boost, take the side effects, I guess you could say, of feeling better, improving your heart rate, all of those things, making yourself stronger. That's what I want kids to be able to see, but they're not going to see that. They may see it in their, their idols on Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is, but when they see it in their household, when they see dad and mom being able to push and my wife on who's also my wife's 48, my wife also on a couple of weeks notice saying, I'm going to go run a half marathon. Haven't ran one in five years. I'm going to go run a half marathon and I'm going to start training now that it's, it's that undeniable stack of proof that it truly is. I feel like it's something that we are the ultimate role models for our kids if we choose to be. And that's just about prioritizing what's important. To, to build off of that last comment you made about they look up to their the guys on Instagram and they look up to Goggins and stuff like that. I don't know a single dad that doesn't want to also be looked at as that hero. And I would much rather my parents, my child and soon to be children look at me like, oh, like, dude, I got to be just like dad versus right. them being like, I got to be just like Sam Sulik. Yeah. Yeah. When, although there's an inevitability that they're going to like find role models outside of the house, if they can't find one inside the house, then they're definitely going to look outside the house. Well, and I think they're looking at role models a different way we do. So I grew up in the world of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've been to the Arnold Classic four times. And honestly, in a month and a half, I'm taking my boys out to Columbus, Ohio for the first time to go to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic for nice. the weekend because I experienced it. My dad took me the first time that I went and I was just an absolute awe, like to stand next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, get your picture, take it with him. That was my idol growing up as a kid. But now it's funny as a kid, what you're admiring on those role models is the outside. You're admiring their physique. You're admiring their symmetry, whatever it is. As an adult, I look at it a different way. 
when I see someone like even Arnold to this day, he's still training. He's 70 something years old. And my dad is the same way. My dad is still that dad at 74 years old that has the big chest, the big arms. He eats perfectly. He chicken breast and broccoli. And yeah, he has his sweets too, but he eats fantastic. He goes to his local gym. He lives down in Virginia and he constantly has the 30 year olds walking up to him saying, Hey, how much do you bench? What kind of lifting do you do? What supplements do you take? I mean, and he's 74 years old. So that to me is the ultimate, um, that's the ultimate reward of the sacrifice that you actually do. But as we get older, I don't admire the physiques as much as what is the root cause of the physiques. So when I see someone, when I see an Andrew Huberman or I see some of these older guys, was it Paul Sklar? I think is someone right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah Paul unbelievable huge. physique, right? I'm actually not admiring his physique anymore. I'm admiring the discipline and the consistency and the determination that he's putting in to create that physique. So I, you're admiring something different as you get older. The physique is great, but it's what it took to get that because you know how hard it is. So mm-hmm. that's to me is, and I think that's a shift that occurs. Younger, we're just looking at the physique and we're like, I want to look like Arnold someday. But as you get older, it's, they're finding the time, they're making the priority, they're being consistent with it, they're doing the discipline that they have to do in order to get there. That's what's admirable. It's the root cause of the physique. It's a shift a little bit. Right. With the belief systems. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. You touched on it a little bit before, but you know, nutrition is definitely probably the biggest world of misinformation that I see on the internet today. And I find it interesting that people are almost associating their nutrition with how they identify as a person. So you're a carnivore, you're a vegan, you're this, you're that. It's crazy how it's each type of eating has almost turned into its own cult in a way, which you can't just be that middle person anymore that, yeah, I eat a high protein diet and I have some vegetables and I eat steak and I, people are like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to be one or the other. You actually don't, you can have that perfect balance, but I'm seeing that knowing nutrition plays such a role in fitness, in health, in losing body fat. And I feel like the world of protein is finally getting the attention that it needs. I'm kind of laughing because 20, 30 years ago, protein was a big conversation in my house all the time. And the protein powder that we took back then was disgusting. Let me tell you, (laughs) it was so bad. I remember actually taking a combination supplement. I don't know if you remember this one called hot stuff. It was like 60 different supplements in one thing that literally tasted like melted cardboard. I don't even know how to describe it. It was terrible. But now there's so many supplements that are out there, but there's so much misinformation on nutrition, on you should eat breakfast, you shouldn't eat breakfast, you should eat this time, you shouldn't do that. Tell me a little bit about your guidance and what you suggest, dads especially, to kind of use as a guideline for nutrition when it comes to fitness and health. Yeah, I find that the simpler, the better, right? So I I did the keto, I did carnivore, and that destroyed my 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 digestive tract, which was not great. And I did vegan and all that stuff. And and while it is polarizing and it's fun to identify with, right? Like, oh, I'm a vegan or you get the altruism from the vegan side or the, you get the, the, the 
it's almost like a, I'm a tough guy if you're a carnivore, right? Like right. you get that mental boost. It just becomes unreasonable at the, at, at so many yeah. points. So what I do is I simplify things. We keep it so dumb simple that like if you can't do it, then you're purposely trying not to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big believer in counting macros. And the reason being is because based on the science that I've read and my own, I guess you call it anecdotal evidence through my body and the hundreds of clients that I've worked with, right? It's like, you don't necessarily need to only eat meat or only eat vegetables or anything like that. There's a hierarchy when it comes to having a healthy body and a healthy physique. Right. And so if you eat the right calories in calories out, which I know has been, Oh, it's been debunked and all that stuff. Sure. There's the compensation model and things like that. But if you're not doing crap right now and you're telling me like, oh, calories don't matter and you're sitting for 12 hours a day and not exercising. And I'm like, maybe you should eat a little less and probably skip the cake, (laughs) homeboy. And you come at me with like, oh, calories don't matter. It's like, shut up, like shut up. You know what I mean? So calories in, calories out is always going to dictate weight. So we start there, right? And then what we do through my four phase method, I call it the fast method. We set foundational habits. I don't even give my guys a macro ratio when they start working with me because they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So I cannot take them all the way to 100. Similarly to a rubber band, if I stretch it really quick and then let go really fast, it snaps back to his original position. What I want to do is I want to take the rubber band and I want to slowly stretch it out over time. So when I do let go, AKA they exit my program after six months, it's going to stay in the stretched position because mm-hmm. it stayed there for six months. So what we do is we have everybody track all of their food. I don't even care how much they eat their first week on the program. I don't care if it's cake and Taco Bell and chocolate covered pretzels. Cool. Track it. Just get in the habit of paying attention. The funny thing, Mike, Mm. nine out of 10 clients lose weight their first week with me because they sit down and they actually track what they're eating. And they're like, dear God, this is 800 calories. I had no idea. So, we get the habits right. We increase water and all that other good stuff, right? We prime the body. Abraham Lincoln says, if I have four hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend three hours sharpening my ax. So rather than just jumping right into a diet, let's make sure we have the habits to actually execute a diet. Yes. Then as we transition into the accelerate phase, which is phase two, F-A-S-T, right? Accelerate. Yep. Then we go to a, t- a calorie target. Once I know they can actually hit a calorie target, meanwhile, they're losing weight this whole time. Then I'll start to manipulate the macros, right? And we and, and the way I teach it is I give all three ratios, protein, carbs, and fats, after educating them on what it actually looks like. They're getting their own self-education because they have to track everything and they realize like how many carbs are in this, how, many, how much fat is in this, how much protein is in this. How many guys I know that come into my program, they eat less than 100 grams of protein a day. If I were to just put them on a plan at 200 right off the rip, it would be such a shock to their system. They'd quit after three weeks. Yeah. So anyways, then I start slowly start to manipulate carbohydrates. I slowly start to manipulate proteins and I give them a target for all three. But the golden rule is this. For every 100 calories that I give you, I want you to eat 10 grams of protein. That's going to be 40% of their calorie intake. Your carbs and fat ratio off the rip in the beginning, I don't really care. You got 40 pounds to lose, carbs and fats, it doesn't matter. Are you hitting your protein target? Are you hitting your calorie target? So now it's so simple because rather than tracking four numbers, they only have to really worry about two. 
inevitably in my program, my guys lose weight at such a like sustainable pace. It's usually one to three pounds, depending on where their starting point is and what their background is, how much muscle they already have and all the other contributing factors. It's one to three pounds per week. They're all going to plateau. I tell them this, like you will plateau. When you do that, we're just going to have to get even more accurate with our macros. Then once I know they can track calories, I know they're hitting their protein target. I know they're getting their workouts. They're getting the water. They're getting their sleep. They're doing their supplements. They're doing everything necessary to actually have a healthy physique. Their energy levels by this point are already through the roof. Then I start to like pull down on fats a little bit so they can do some more volume eating with carbohydrates. And then as we get towards the tail end of the accelerated phase, that's when it's like, all right, you got to track all four, but it's a skill set all the way through. Right. This is why it's so sustainable because they're not trying to do a million things all at once. We start with two habits. We end the accelerate phase with four habits, but we're not starting at four. The moment you enroll into my program, it's like, great, completely change your lifestyle. Everything you're doing is wrong and just 180 your life. Yep. It's low, like, slow process that actually has such rapid results that they get better results with me in the first three months than they did when they were doing their 30 days of keto. Yeah. I love that. All of that. It's funny because when we, you know, as we're recording this right now, it's middle of January. So we're generally past the point that people have already given up on their quote unquote new year's resolution. We're coming Uh, up on it. Yeah. We're already, people are already like, ah, maybe this isn't working. And it's funny because when they go out of the gate, the first thing they do is it's 10,000 miles an hour. So they, this day suddenly it's like a gun going off at the beginning of a race. And they're like, okay, so I haven't done anything. I've been eating terrible tomorrow. I'm going to drink eight glasses of water. I'm going to get up early to make sure I go to the gym. I'm going to get 10,000 steps. I'm not going to eat any sugar. And they just add all these things at one time. And they, they literally, although we're coming up on that point now where the new year's resolutions fail, they fail on day one, right? They fail on day one because they've just instituted way too many changes at the same time. They focus on intensity, not consistency. If you focus on consistency and what you're talking about is how do I stick with something that I'm going to be able to do for the long run? When they focus on intensity, it's I'm doing everything to get myself there as fast as possible and they fail. It's so it's sad and it's, it's frustrating for them. But I also think that there's a lot of, how do I put this? There's so many people that they're garnering information from the internet. They're doing something that they heard someone who's working with the coach told them to do, but there's no accountability, right? Accountability Mm -hmm. is the one thing that honestly, even entrepreneurs often struggle with. When you work in a job and you're employed by someone, Who's the one person you don't want telling you what to do? Your boss, right? Yet, who's the one person you make sure that you do the things that you need to do? Because if you don't, they're going to call you out on it. Your boss. Yet entrepreneurs, all of a sudden, if they're used to being in that work environment, they then go to a self-employed environment. There's no more boss. And it's so difficult for so many to stay accountable to the things that they need to do. And I think that's where your way of doing it in initiating small changes first, bringing bigger changes in as they've already given themselves their stack of evidence that they can do the small changes and now you're building on top of it, just leads them to consistency and sustainability. And your thought about protein is important too, because I don't think a lot of people realize this. The gastric motility of protein is so much slower 
than that of carbohydrates. So if you eat a bagel, that bagel is pretty much through your system within an hour. You eat four eggs in the morning, that gastric motility for those four eggs is closer to two, two and a half hours to actually get through your system. So your satiety is so much better for that longer period of time. People don't realize how hard and how, not even how hard, how much food it can take to actually get 150 to 200 grams of protein. It's not an easy thing to do. And you don't necessarily want to eat all the other things that you are used to eating when you've already consumed that level of protein. Alex Ramosi always amazes me because he's, I think he's around 30 at this point, maybe 30 something. He's 31. Yeah. 31. Yeah. He's big guy admits to being on TRT because he had low testosterone, but he's just a big guy in general. He's very, very consistent. Yeah. But his way of talking about nutrition, I found fascinating where his main goal is he has to consume two pounds of lean meat per day, which is approximately 200 grams of protein. After that, he doesn't care what he eats. And, but I'm thinking, how much does he really want to eat after consuming two pounds of meat per day? And he'll say, I'm in with entrepreneurs who are all these biohacking guys are thinking about all the things they can do with their body. And he's like, and I'm in the meetings eating Skittles, but I've already consumed my, my two pounds of meat for the day. And honestly, this will probably do, and I'm good. And I'm like, wow, people don't realize that difference of protein versus the other macros that are involved. Uh, it's so, so important. Yeah. And and one of the reasons why that works is because it's simple. Yes. Like it doesn't have to be this massive headache. This right. overthinking, overanalyzing. Do I eat? I got to eat 30 minutes after my workouts and stuff like that. Like, oh, like it's got to be perfect. Because then what ends up happening is it's almost like playing a game of chess with yourself and then quitting because you don't know what you're going to do on move three. If you're so obsessed with what steps two, three, four, five, and six look like that you don't even take action on step one, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Curious of your take on this, because I feel like, and maybe you see it a different way or you actually don't see it at all. There seems to be an interesting push right now from kind of like the mainstream media, even from government entities right now, to make us unhealthy. The new food guide pyramid came out recently from the government and the new food guide Did pyramid it? rated Lucky Charms as a significantly better food to eat than steak. Literally named Lucky Charms. CBS News recently came out and said that men that are over 50 should not do pull-ups because it's not good for them. I'm actually looking at an article on WebMD right now that I found beyond disturbing that really talked about all the exercises that you shouldn't do over 50 or after you're, you're 50 years old. Some of them are actually correct. Yeah, behind the neck pulldowns, no one's been telling you to do that for the last like 25 years. So I don't even know why that one's in there. But they're like, yeah, don't do any plyometric exercises. Anything with jumping is bad. Don't sprint. Don't use heavy weights. Don't do anything that works your lower back or back extensions. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are we trying to tell people to do here? And interestingly enough, and I'm going to use the back extensions one, it says, this exercise involves strengthening your back by bending forward at the waist and then coming back up. And it can be a problem if you have lower back instability. Well, anything that you do is going to be a problem if you have lower back instability. Why would you not want to strengthen that area? What is your take on this? Like, Why is so much of the world right now kind of pushing 
be comfy in the chair. It's safer versus let's go lift and make yourself stronger. Not being a medical doctor, obviously, I, I, I pick my words very carefully when I speak on and combating things that come off WebMD and, and things like that, just to be reasonable. So total disclaimer, I'm not a doctor, not a physician, don't have a medical degree. Let's just be pragmatic here. Anyone with a thinking brain can just ask themselves, who's making money on this? Mm. We live in America. Like, look, it's rules to the game. We could sit here and be upset about it all day long, but like, who's paying for the studies? Who's right. paying for like, where, who makes the money? Who follow the money and you'll know exactly why they're doing all the things that they're doing. There's no, look, I know gym owners. None of them are rich. You know what I mean? So it's not like gym owners are going to put out large, grandiose meta studies with 20,000 people that are going to teach you that like, yeah, if you do a hit class four times a week, like your heart will improve. Right. Right. They can't afford it. Right. But who can afford it? Well, the sugar companies, the, the process companies, General Mills, all these other things. Right. They want to keep you fat, slow and dumb. And look, we can I I know this isn't the topic of your podcast. We can get into the politics of everything and why they want weak men <laughs> and all that other good stuff. Right. And that's not why anyone's listening to this. But it's just a very pragmatic and, and just a, a simple thought experiment of just like, all right, well, if they're saying this information, who benefits from it? Well, it's definitely not me. So who is it benefiting? It's all it's benefiting all the people that on the medical industry and stuff like that, that make money when people get fat, get sick, get lazy. It's the biggest industry in the world. So of course they're going to put out all the things like, oh yeah, if you're over 50, like make sure you sit on the couch eight hours a day, take it easy. <laughs> don't get strong. Like, because they want to make the money when you're six years old and you can't get on your, on the floor and play with your grandkids. Right. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately I actually have family members that are just like that. My whole side of the family, I got young, young kids, young kids, right. They can't play with my daughter the way that like, they could if they took care of themselves. Right. I watched my dad and this isn't a dig on him. Love my father, but homeboy can't even get off the couch. He needs to like, like rock himself back and forward just to get off the couch. Cause he's, he's overweight by like 75 pounds. Right. My mom can't get on her knees and play with her granddaughter. And I yeah. see how much it pains them. It's frustrating to them. I can't pick on them cause it's not going to be a beneficial conversation. Right. Like I tell them all the time, go to the gym, do this, do that, do this, do that. It's my world, right? And it, it's the law of proximity. Everybody knows. Everybody's had the conversation with their wife where you told them the same thing over and over and over again. And then their coworker says one thing that sounds the same. And they're like, Jennifer told me this. <laughs> like, I've said that for years. It's uh -huh. the same concept, right? So I can't tell my parents anything. Right. However, it's just followed money. They, they're not going to make money if the world is healthy. They make money when the world is sick. So they just want to keep you sick. Yeah. Unfortunately, very, very true. I, I completely agree with you. I'm curious on your, your take on this as well, because especially as men, we are known as we go into our 40s and our 50s, we get to that point of, oh, here comes the midlife crisis. For some people, it's a sports car. For some people, they're starting a business. It could be a wide variety of things where all of a sudden they get into that. And just this last week, I listened to a fascinating podcast with Rich Roll. And he talked about changing the concept of the midlife crisis to a midlife chrysalis, where mm. there's a shift, there's a metamorphosis that can happen at that standpoint. Because you kind of said it before, 30s, 40s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 
you're focusing so much on your career. You're trying to trying to climb that corporate ladder, expand your own business. If you're self-employed, whatever it is, then all of a sudden, as we start to get older, some people begin to realize that I may not actually in my life be able to do some of the things that I wanted to do. I may not be able to climb Mount Everest. I may not be the person that has a $50 million nest egg, whatever it may be. So men start to shift a little bit as to, oh my gosh, they start panicking because I'm 50 years old now. The They see what the average age of a person is in the United States. It's like 75, 77 years old. So at 50, you legitimately have on average 25 to 27 years left provided nothing happens. And I think that's where the crisis mode or the panic mode starts to come in. But I found it such an interesting concept to say, okay, now your life is changing. Um, your body is changing. Everything is going to be different, but it's such an opportunity for you to grab it by the horns and say, but this is how I want it to go forward. Have you worked with guys that are in this situation and how did you kind of help them through it? Yeah, I, I had this crisis at 29. I don't think it even has to be a midlife crisis. <laughs> I spent, so in the company that I, I I say grew up in because that's direct sales company that I was part of, I started when I was a teenager. And a lot of the older managers and like the region manager, who's an amazing man, still a good friend to this day, came to my wedding, all the other good stuff. And he played a large role in my success. However, I found myself when I do enough self-reflection making decisions that I probably wouldn't have made if I didn't think that it was going to benefit my relationship with him. Is he going to like me more and out of respect for him and all that stuff? I took a job on Long Island. If you've ever been to Long Island, but that, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I didn't like living there and I knew I wasn't going to like living there. We'll put it that way. I took a job there and, and as an opportunity for a promotion, basically because he told me it was a good idea, not because I actually wanted to do it. And at 29 years old, I found myself resenting everything about that other person. And I think that if we use that as a microcosm for what so many men do in life is we make all these decisions because of what other what we think other people will think we should do. And then what ends up happening is whatever year it is. 29, 39, 59, whatever it may be, we realize that the majority of the decisions that we've made is to either impress other people or to appease other people. Mm. And I was lucky enough to have a very interesting introspective relationship with myself at 29 years old, where I realized that I had been doing that for at least the past two years. And I just had the gumption to stop doing it which is another reason why Unbreakable Dads exists, which is another reason why I actually no longer work with that company was because my time had come and I knew it two years ago, but I stuck with it out of respect for another person, not out of respect for myself. And the amount of men that come to me that are just like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Like, I feel like I'm not doing anything to take care of myself. And maybe a decision to work with Unbreakable Dads is their midlife crisis. They just know that there's a change because Deep inside all of us, there's a voice. You could call it God. You could call it karma. You could call it your conscious. Label it however you see fit. But there's a voice. There's an internal navigation system. And the farther that you move away from it, 
the harder your life becomes because you are no longer working in alignment with what you actually want and who you actually are. And you can lose yourself in that. Sometimes that voice gets so quiet that you don't realize until it's on your deathbed. Yeah. You didn't listen to a word that you actually, a word that it said. Nope. There's something that happens and especially in men, right? That's the story. Because we're taught from such a young age, you don't matter. It's what you do for everybody else. Right. Your level of love that you receive as a man is based on what you can provide. So go provide, go make the money, go buy the house, go get the car, go put the kids in daycare, go do everything else. You don't matter. Right. And it's like, you get to, we'll call it 38 years old, which is truly midlife, right? If you base the numbers on it. Yeah. And you go, wait, I do, I do matter. I'm fucking miserable. And I got to do this for another 30 years. The retirement age just went farther. My dollar goes shorter. What's going on? Why am I miserable all the time? I have everything that everyone said I should have. Why am I miserable? I had that at 29. And I realized that I was ignoring my own conscience. I was working out of outside of harmony with what I actually wanted. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is this you have you avoid for so long that you create a void. And how did people fill that void? Alcohol, addiction, buying cars, not spending time with family, resenting whatever it is. Like all voids need to be filled. That's the law of the vacuum. And I think that that's where the midlife crisis comes with. Right? You avoided what you wanted for so long by putting everyone else ahead of you and completely sacrificing everything that you are as a man that you have to fill that void with something. This is why guys drink. This is why guys go on crazy vacations and cheat on their wife. This is why, this is where all the problems send from. It is that void because you are avoiding. Right. Wow. That's a lot of insight there. And I think it's so, for all the guys that are listening out there, uh, it's a great opportunity to redirect and to realize that instead of putting everything on the outside, start paying attention to what comes in. I love that. Thanks, Brian. Let me ask, as we start to wind down a little bit, over the years, I'm sure you've likely encountered clients that you've worked with that have truly inspiring transformational stories. Is there one that you could share of maybe that busy dad who was able to achieve remarkable results, not just in their body, but in so many other parts of their life? Yeah, really cool ending to the story. But the, the beginning is a little dark. So as... Uh, It was the beginning of last year. I connected with a gentleman and he followed my page. He started commenting on a couple of things and I could tell that the message was resonating with him. And of course, at the end of the day, I want to help as many people as possible. And I have no fear of reaching out to someone who I know I can help and being like, hey man, like join Unbreakable Dads. See what this is all about. Right. I want to see if you're a good client and we can make make something happen here. And so we, we kind of went back and forth for months. He liked, watched all of my stories, watched every single one of my pieces of content, liked every piece of content, all that other good stuff. And last March, I ran like a five-day challenge. I was like, hey, dude, I'm just going to put this across your desk. If you want to do it, it's five bucks. Like, you get group coaching calls with me for five days. I'll get you a workout program, put you on some macros. Like, you, you just go through the, the initial phase of the program. And he, he ended up texting me back. And I don't think he's going to mind if I share this. But he said, he said, dude, I just got off like a hard bender. I need to make a change. Like 
five bucks. What can I lose? Over the course of those five days, he didn't miss a call, didn't miss a login, didn't, didn't miss check, didn't miss anything. Zero. At the end of those five days, we agreed that it was worth having a conversation to see if he would join the program. I got on and interviewed him to see if he'd be like a high quality client and if it was even worth my time. And he absolutely earned my time. We welcomed him into the program. Over the course of the next six months, he lost 50 pounds with me. Wow. Hasn't dropped, hasn't touched a drop of alcohol since before the five day challenge. His relationship with his wife has completely turned around. He's up for a promotion at his job. He's now in the muscle building phase of things, strongest he's ever been. He picked up a habit of riding a mountain bike because I told him like, hey, let's do some like active recovery. Like he's like, yeah, actually some of my buddies like rode mountain bikes, but I was always too out of shape to do it. I think I'm going to pick one up. Now it's his favorite thing he's ever done. He loves it. He's like made new friends because of it. His whole life is completely turned around. And uh, yeah, dude, I mean, he's got abs now. It's unbelievable. He's the happiest he's ever been, right? He was in such a dark place and before the five-day challenge. And now he's telling me he's never been this happy. He's like planning on buying his first house with his wife. And we were having a conversation very recently, like six weeks ago, about his 2024 goals. What do you, what do you see? What like Not just with your health and your fitness, but like talk to me about like where do you want to take your career? And he's a carpenter, works five days a week, 12-hour days, and had his own little side gig on the weekends. You want to tell me you don't have time? This dude's on job sites at 6 a.m. And he's working until 6. Manual labor, hauling tires. Tile, excuse me. This guy still hit four workouts at minimum every single week. Still tracked his macros every single day like a man. Yeah. I have never been more impressed with another individual. And I have some amazing clients that have come through my program. This man it has completely resonated with all of our mental models, with all of our guidelines, with all of our core values and everything. And he was telling me he wanted to make a little bit of extra money. And not only that, there are at least five clients that are currently a part of Unbreakable Debts that would attribute a lot of their success, not only to my program, my coaching, my anything, but because this gentleman reached out to them and was just like, hey man, how can I help? And I saw who this man is, like truly became a leader. And I was like, dude, you should become an assistant coach. And so now not only is he completely lived our core values, lived our program, still to this day does it, is actually a client, but now he's helping even more guys. And his clients that he works with are already, just in the past two weeks, since that was the time that we inked everything, are already getting more consistent results because they're around him. And that comes to, the, I have a model here that we use, right? Like, Unbreakable dads don't wait, don't leave fate up to anyone else. They control their own fate. And I use fate as an acronym, right? Their focus, their authority, their tribe, and their emotions. And this man has done absolutely everything and to increase everyone around him. Like he knows how to lead a tribe. And a lot of that, he said that he never even was considered for a managerial role at his job. And now he's like, one step under the foreman and and is already being considered to be a foreman on another job coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Like it's just completely turned around his life, just living by the unbreakable dad's principles. And now he's impacting so many men in the, in, in the actual program. So much so in fact that there are guys that are in his mountain biking group that he's just acquaintances with. I'm actually having a conversation with one of them right now. They're like, I've seen a dude, Aaron's completely 180. 
it's crazy. Like, what is what is this all about? Like, they're reaching out to 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 us and Unbreakable Dads just to find out, like, what is this guy drinking? Like, what, what's in the water? Like, so that that's been the most amazing story that I can think of right off the rip. And now he's just impacting so many guys. And he truly is an Unbreakable Dad through and through. Brian, such an inspiring story and honestly, such an incredible conversation. I've loved every second of this conversation today. Well, let me ask to kind of close out for people to learn more about you, your program, what you're offering and how they can become an unbreakable dad. How do people find you? Yeah. So the best thing you can do, I don't do like email lists or anything like that because I hate getting emails. The best thing you can do is just connect with me on Instagram at unbreakable dads. It's just one word. It's been it's been an incredible conversation. And honestly, man, since you have such an awesome audience, you've been such an incredible host. I want to do something special for everyone on here as well. One of the things that I do as uh, just a freebie that I give it on my Instagram is what I call the on the go dad's guide. And this is like a 20 page document that I put together where so many guys are traveling. They're they're short for time. They like to order out their kids like to eat at some of the fast food restaurants. So they find it hard to find meals that are going to give them the body, the physique, the energy, the health that they actually want. So I went and put together a list of every single major chain, like anything you can find on a major highway. And I was like, if you have to eat here or if you're on the go, you're traveling, you're in the airport, this is what to order. It's got calories. It's got macros. Just follow that guide. You can't help but lose weight. Now, that's a free thing that I give out no matter what. But just for your your audience specifically, I'm going to do the Unbreakable Dads Bundle. And what that is, it's going to get the on-the-go dads guide combination with free six weeks of workouts, excuse me. Whether you want to work out three times a week, four times a week, or five times a week, I have a program for each. All you have to do is go to my Instagram at Unbreakable Dads, send me the message MindFit so I know that you're an audience member. I'll ask you a couple of questions just to make sure that the bundle is customized to you. And I will send it to you directly through your Instagram. And no matter what, over the course of the next six weeks, you follow the On The Go Dad's Guide and you do these workouts, you're going to start to build some sensational habits and we're going to get 2024 kicked off right. Brian, that is an amazing gift for all the listeners. Thank you so much for doing that. For all the listeners, make sure you go to the podcast description. I will make sure that Brian's link to his Instagram is there so you do not miss out on this opportunity. Brian, this has been amazing, man. You are doing amazing things. And for all the dads that are out there, if you're struggling, if you're finding that you're just at that point where you feel like there is more to the life that you are working on right now, definitely reach out to Brian. This has been amazing. Dude, thank you so much for being on this show. Thanks, Mike. Dude, it was a pleasure being here and an honor. Hey, everybody, real quick, if you could do me one favor, if you are loving these episodes, if you could leave a review or a rating on whatever platform you listen, it would be so appreciated. I truly love it. Thank you so much. So stay driven, everyone. And until next time.